Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Dear Fandom, where everything you like is terrible, and that's okay. I'm Hillary. And I'm Megan. And today we are covering the wonderful, beautiful, and macabre series of unfortunate events. What do you... <laughs> I love how it's like, wonderful, beautiful, macabre series of unfortunate events. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, one of, it's one of my favorite pieces of media. Uh, I, loved, uh, I loved the books growing up as a kid, and uh, they did the film adaptations dirty up until fairly recently. So, um, you know, I was real mad for yeah, a long time. Yeah, I mean, time. they shoved as much star power as they could into the Nickelodeon film, and they're like, don't worry, once we get enough good actors in here, it'll be a good film, which... Um, uh, historically is not true. I watched Transcendence. <laughs> Everyone's like, I don't even know what that film is. And I'm like, I think, you sure I think as we shit saw, don't. I think we saw Transcendence together. Actually. I saw it in the theaters because Killian Murphy's in it for 20 minutes. And I was like, that is enough for the ticket price. Let's go. <laughs> um, and it is a terrible film. R.I.P. A Quiet Place. Anyway. <laughs> a Quiet Place 2. Electric Boogaloo. Um, exactly. So, so Megan, uh, what do you know about a series of unfortunate events? I'm going to be a real piece of shit here and go, is it about a series of unfortunate <laughs> events? Yes. Uh, Very good. Thank you. Thank you. I, uh, I, had, I just had like these big hunches that it was just about a series of mostly unfortunate, maybe like one or two fortunate events. No. Um, so I never read the books. I, when the movie came out, I had no basis for comparison. So I was like, I love Jim Carrey. I love Meryl Streep. I love uh, Catherine O'Hara. I was like, let's just do this. Like, let's watch the movie 16 times in a row. Let's buy it on DVD and and uh, just have no other questions about anything. And I, I think uh, the series of unfortunate events is what... Uh, Emily Browning is who played uh, Violet, correct? Uh, yes, Emily Browning played Violet. And yeah. um, she later ended up being in Sucker Punch, which has like the same feel as the Nickelodeon movie but it's like for grown-ups I you know grown-up is such a strong word for yeah into that film. <laughs> like do you enjoy women who look like they're underage but technically aren't but they became famous when they were and and we put them in the skimpiest and I when I say skimpiest I mean like if like somebody who was really into Jane Austen and hentai decided to draw costumes that's what we got going on here right and his I name is Zack Snyder <laughs> I feel like Sucker Punch is the equivalent of the guy next door, like, coming to your door with a bouquet of flowers on your 18th birthday. Oh, um. man. Well, that's good. I really hope everyone at the audience just got as many chills as I did here in that <laughs> sentence. Because that's Be like, hey, girl, you look Like, knocking on the door. Hello. I've noticed that uh, you turned 18 today. And I'll be like, wow, you must have the wrong birth certificate. I'm eight. Oh, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> I'm eight with like a noticeably deeper voice. But, yeah. <laughs> but, but yes, no, so yeah, is. I knew Emily Browning as Violet Beauregard. And that's, mm -hmm. No, she's not the reason I went to see Sucker Punch. I went to see Sucker Punch because I had a boyfriend who was like, we should go see Sucker Punch. You'll love it. And I was like, um, let's take some stock here. Um, I love yeah. Emily Browning as Violet because Violet, you know, I always enjoy, I very much enjoy the smart girl trope uh, because it's just one of those tropes that we had growing up that, you know, it, it did place itself in like a lot of different uh, children's or like teen novels. And you always had that one smart girl. And uh, that's why I loved uh, Violet. Yeah. Again, I feel like she came from a generally like, like she wasn't the odd one out in her family. You know what I'm no. saying? No, the, the whole point is that they're all like brilliant. Um, 
and they're the children of two like very successful um successful people and their uh the their parents they're wealthy like at the beginning of the story but their parents uh, profession is largely a mystery for you know several reasons um I, ne- so, I never actually knew what their parents did. I mean, and I watched the entire Netflix show. And I mean, to be honest, I was mostly distracted because like the story was amazing in terms of, you know, the Count Olaf plot and how uh, Patrick Warburton plays as Lemony Snicket. So when it came to the Beauregard children's parents and where their fortune came from, I have no idea where it came from. Not Beauregard, Baudelaire. Oh, and that's Baudelaire. a very, that's a very interesting and different distinction. And I'm going to get to that in a second. Ah. Um, Violet Baudelaire does sound very similar to Violet Beauregard, and that was probably done on purpose. There are tons of literary allusions in chock full throughout the series, like from character names to, um, to both to literary devices to, um, all sorts of stuff. So the basic plot is, yes, a series of unfortunate events. It's three orphans, Violet, who's the oldest, she's an inventor. She's something of a tomboy. Um, the there's klaus who is like an epic reader he has very noticeably has glasses in the book and fans were kind of outraged when he didn't have glasses in the in the movie they're like what why are you trying to make him cute that's weird and then they have i think that had to do with the guy that they cast as him they were very much going for like a like the 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 nickelodeon series of unfortunate events was very much trying to cash in on the same kind of attractive children trope of uh that harry potter was going for at the same time no and Peter Pan, because the live adap- adaptation of Peter Pan had come out at the same time, and that kid looked very similar to that kid. Yeah, I'm not saying that I followed anyone on Tumblr who wanted to marry that guy at all. <laughs> I would, why would I know anybody like that in real life? And I was not aware of any Peter Pan fandom at all, or I saw any pictures of a blonde guy wearing a bunch of leaves. That's... Nope, didn't do that. <laughs> what? Us? No. <laughs> no. We were teenagers, and we didn't sexualize other... Actually, yeah, now that I think about it, nowadays most teenagers are played by adults, and back in, like, the 2000s, they're like, no, teenagers are going to play teenagers. And then, 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 because we went from the 70s, where not just adults were playing teenagers, like, people about to enter the nursing home were about to play teenagers. <laughs> yeah, like, like, I don't know how they convinced us that, like, fucking... Grease. Stalker Channing was, like, was... When I have crazy. no idea. Like I was, I was like, man, high school. I'm gonna look so old. Then I got to high school, and I'm like, this is fucking lies. Uh, but no, yeah. So there was that whole, you know, that renaissance of attractive children. <laughs> Such a weird sentence. Oh god, yeah. It's just so weird to think about. And they cashed in with the older Baudelaire children in the movie for sure. But in the books, they're very much kids. You know, Violet's 14, Klaus is 12, and uh, Sunny is an oopsie baby. Um, she's really? like. Yeah, no, she's she's much younger than them. She's not... Um, True, that would indicate that the parents definitely did not plan that one. No, like, I always... That, that was always the leap that I made. I think that uh, makes a ton of sense, because if you have a 14-year-old and a 12-year-old, that means you had the 14-year-old. Whether or not the 14-year-old was planned, the 12-year-old definitely was, because you want to have... If you want to have children, I think, personally, you want to have them with a closer age gap. And then if you have an t- almost 12-year age gap between your, old, your, your middle and your youngest, that's definitely, like, the parents were like oh don't worry sweetie i can't get pregnant anymore and he's like you sure and she's like got you (laughs) (laughs) yeah the mom uh the mom uh was definitely like "Mm, yeah whoops hey you're gonna you're gonna have a younger sibling and klaus was like bet and (laughs) i do i do love that um one of the things that 
I mean, the thing is, in the movie that, that I did not like was that they just kind of seem almost like robot children. Like, just the most robotic, like, oh, I can help build this. Or, oh, I know this book. I watched, um, it was a comparison between uh, the movie and the TV show. And they were, like, pointing out, I, I can't remember the name of the YouTube channel I was watching. But they were pointing out, like, what worked in the movie and what worked in the TV show and what they would have preferred that was in the movie that would be in the TV show. And one of the things that they loved was how when Klaus would remember something, they showed exactly the book that he read that 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 he remembered it from. And uh, so the reason they didn't do that in the TV show is because uh, shots are kind of like paintings in the sense that if you copy a shot, it's plagiarism. <laughs> and I don't know if that guy understood it. Um, but it's also like, I think as an audience, we don't need the visual cue every time Klaus thinks of something, especially for a TV show that ran for, what, three seasons, four seasons? Three seasons. Three seasons. When it ran for three seasons, we don't <coughs> always need the visual cue of, oh, he, he he read a book to learn this information. That's so weird. I would have assumed he got it from Wiki. I Because uh, um, in, um, in the novels, it's not really like listed exactly like they kind of talk about like the books that he read in order to like get this knowledge but it's much more through implication the fact that he is like so well-rounded and well-read and he's like it's a human way to, to to recall information though yeah when you when you remember something if you read it in a book you may not be able to recall the exact name of the book but you could tell them exactly what you remember from the book and that's a very human aspect to the klaus in the tv show and because the Klaus in the movie, he did show up with glasses, like, for a hot second. And then they're like, all right, you look weird. Get rid of him. And I don't even remember what happened. Did Jim Carrey, like, break him or something in the movie? Just Jim Carrey in real life totally broke that kid's glasses. Yeah, no, you know that Jim Carrey was like, fuck you, vaccines are for cowards. And um, <laughs> <laughs> broke that kid's glasses. No, um, I, I don't... It's been so long since I've watched the film that, like... Uh, mainly because the anachronisms of it, like the purposeful anachronisms of it, or like yeah. the accident. Actually, no, it's much more accidental anachronisms of it make me so fucking mad. Absolutely. Because um, if you look at the judge's house, then you look at the clothing everyone's wearing, you're like, well, this is not... <laughs> it's the wrong type of anachronism. Because it's like, it's Victorian, but also Edwardian. And Lemony is British for some reason, even though these stories are clearly set in America. And... Um, the series is really supposed to be set somewhere between like somewhere between like 1920 and like 1940 like or 1950 yeah. with some aspects of the modern day involved like I, I mean that's the thing like that i got so when i watched the original movie i definitely got a very like victorian-esque 1800s type feel to it but then you see cars and you're like okay cars didn't exist I don't think in the 1800s and the idea like and a lot of the characters were British but then some of them weren't so Lemony was British Mr. Poe was British but then Count Olaf wasn't the children really weren't the judge wasn't Meryl Streep's character wasn't but then you had um Uncle Monty who was Scottish and you're like all right where are we in this mix of a European American Canadian situation going on here yeah, they didn't really, um, the anachronisms weren't as purposeful, I think, as they were in the television series and as in the books, because, um, in the books, 
there's stuff all over the place. Like, there are computers and, um, like, HDMI cables next to, like, very old-fashioned cars and, like, um, Violet, like, invents contraptions from things. And people still read much more than they um do anything like you know there are no obviously there are no smartphones these were these books were written in the early 2000s so smartphones didn't exist but like yeah um there were there were no cell phones there were no you know everything was like sort of an analog world sort of connected to this almost like an 80s type 80s 90s type connection to computers and that computers were really only used uh for business purposes exactly yeah so um and in the uh so the the books uh, the books kind of take place in this like weird sort of world and you j- it's in America but you're not sure where. I um I always had a theory that this book was set in San Francisco, but that's just me. Um, I or like some San, either San Francisco or like from the like congestedness of the town and the sort of like how how like all the houses are set up to like the opposite side like like somewhere a small like rhode island because i was thinking massachusetts because the briny beach that they that they showcase in the first episode that they're Mm -hmm. on when they find out everything it's definitely now i've never been to san francisco but i have been to the beaches in maine and and massachusetts and the the beaches in, in you know maine and massachusetts are more of like a they're rocky. They're not, yeah, they're rocky. They're not exactly like, oh, yeah, catching some waves, everybody. It's more of like a, you're going to sit there, contemplate life for a bit, wonder if it's all worth it. Like, that's, <laughs> like, it's it's very much the start of anybody who's, like, sitting on a beach in, like, like, even even um Cape Cod, it's like you're going there to fish. And, like, even, like, Lake Lacrimose and, like, all of, because a lot of, uh, at least the first, like, like the third book is the is the I can't remember the name of it, um, but it's the wide window. The wide window. I was gonna say the windy window, and I'm like that doesn't make sense. No, it's the game. wide window. The um, Lake Lacrimosa is definitely um, it's definitely like Portland, Maine, like sort of like dreary towns. Like yeah, it's that makes sense because a there, lot yeah. of a lot of the uh, locations I wouldn't say necessarily lend itself to. Um, like British dreariness and more of like a you know an American dreariness in the sense that it's like you have your Portland you know coastal lines and you have your your northeastern Cape Cod Massachusetts Maine type coastal lines because it's just kind of gray but the you know there is an ocean there in terms of waves you're not really hanging ten bro uh, you're you know it's 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 very much a a m- melancholic setting and and, and, uh, the, and the middle books in the series like as the Baudelaire's travel and as they go onward you can tell they it's like fly over land it's like definitely yeah, Kansas Nebraska like yeah it's 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 really something that like I guess I guess with the original like Nickelodeon movie you never really picture like where this world is it very much takes place in a fantasy land far removed from where a kid could possibly like reasonably put this location and um because it just seems so like I don't know, the, the Nickelodeon movie does very much seem like it, it's it's kind of taken sixteen different fantasy worlds and real worlds and kind of stitched them together in this, you know, uh, patchwork quilt of you know you've got a real like white picket fence over here, but then you've got these really old weird Victorian mansions over here. You've got uh, some Cape Cod stuff over there. You've got uh, Portland stuff over there, and it's it's very like 
removed, I think, from a from any kind of real location that any kid could like think about. Yeah. Um and it does add to that fantasy aspect, but you know. Yeah, and it's not all it's obvious to tell that it's not once the books progress further and once they get farther and farther away from because the first book is takes place geographically like in their town like because it's um as it's been implied that um poe was in the television series it's implied that poe was tricked um by count olaf to change their will um to be geographically close because um olaf lives the geographically closest to the baudelaire family yeah um so but they travel further and further out and england isn't that big you can drive from the top to the bottom you can drive from the top to the bottom of england in maybe six hours <laughs> my, like, favorite, my favorite insult in england they're like people like americans can't grasp how large london is then somebody was like we have states bigger than your country <laughs> we do. it's and it's it's and that's the thing is i think with um like that's that's what is absolutely the most injustice part of the Nickelodeon film is you can never grab the scope of the universe because they decided to take three whole books and shove them into one 95 minute film and so you're not you're not getting justice done to any of of like the world building that you're supposed to get and uh one of the complaints though of the tv show that i you know seen was that it, it just really does take its time now maybe this is antiquated of me and maybe i'm an old fart but like i love i love taking that time to be like hey i'm heavily emotionally invested in these characters now because you took that time to introduce me to each one of them like sunny was you know adorable in the movie but like in the tv show watching sunny's like whole like arc was i was more invested in that baby i mean not i was about to say than my own but i'm very invested in the baby is inside of me but like but, but you know sunny was this whole fleshed out character of a person of a human you're just well, like sunny sunny the books you know unfold over the course of like at the very very least a year like klaus turns a year older in the like one of the the end of one of the books i forgot which one i think it's the um i think it's the seventh book he's like well fuck it's my birthday today and i like just realized you know so um and they it was spend an 14... extended period of time with each guardian right they don't just spend a day and leave right no no it um for some of them they don't um it's not really like time is kind of like wobbly in some sense in the the prior like the prior books like the first like three or four up until like miserable mill they don't spend like as much time like approach it's not clear how much time they spend with the guardians but like as time goes onward like like you know with the circus when they're with the circus they spend a lot of time at the circus and like yeah that was oh. insane. So, like, this is the thing that kills me is because, uh, so, <laughs> I mean, if you're if you're in any kind of nerd fandom, regardless, you've heard of Nathan Fillion, and you're like, well, Nathan Fillion is apparently god of the nerds, and we just must bow down upon upon greeting him. <laughs> Honest, honestly, would bang exactly. Totally. Who wouldn't? No, but like, I feel like Nathan Fillion would also have sex with himself. Like, Nathan Fillion is very much like the Aphrodite of like the nerd greek gods you know like everyone's in love with him and he's very like not that he you know he's very nice to his fans but i would not say he's gonna like 
go and mess with his fans because that was the thing about Aphrodite. She did not mess with a lot of people. And I feel like Nathan Fillion is very much that kind of character. Um, but in the in the TV show, when he showed up, I'm like, yes! And then having Sarah Rue there and like, oh my God, I just, you don't understand. Like, I love me an unnatural redhead more than I love... I think anything else in this universe because I was an unnatural redhead for the entirety of college. So when I see it, it just makes me so happy because it's just like, yes, <laughs> yes, unnatural red. Um, and and these characters are just amazing. They're so, so good. And the TV show gave them, I think, one, to great actors who did them justice, but two, uh, they gave them these beautiful fleshed out arcs that were outside of what was going on with the children. So adult watchers could really enjoy what was going on with the adults as well. And I just like, I think about how the TV show went and how much it had in it and you know, how long it was. And all I can think about is how were they going to do that for the freaking movies like so they had you know killed off Meryl Streep at the end of the first one and and you know uh, Jim Carrey was taking away the kids to go to um you know and then and then they just left for the mill which was supposed to happen at the end of the third book but it just it, there's no way I think with the cohesiveness that they created in the films it was gonna match the pacing of the books no um because they um because they shoved so much information into the first film. I, first of all, they were very arrogant and they assumed it would succeed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> They've never done that before. What are you talking about? There's what? 16 Fantastic Fours out right now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and all of them have been successful. All of them. Um, every single one. <laughs> every single one. All of them had a Jessica Alba is a household name and for no other reason than she played Sue Storm. <laughs> Christ. <laughs> so, uh, first of all, they got arrogant. Yeah, exactly. They got arrogant and they thought they would succeed. And when they didn't, they were like, oh, fuck. So, I don't think they had a plan, to be honest. I think the television show was... Because, first of all, Daniel Handler did not have a hand in their um, the commentary for um, the series of Unfortunate Film, of Unfortunate Events film. Um, he, at one point... <laughs> No, I know what takes, you're going to say because you've told me this already, but go ahead. He fucking takes out a clarinet and just starts playing. <laughs> I, and like, that's the thing is I, so Daniel Handler is the real name of Lemony Snicket. Lemony yes. Snicket was the pen name that he created to make it seem like, I mean, because I, yes. when I was a kid, I remember thinking, oh shit, a series of unfortunate events is based in real life because Lemony Snicket is the author and he's a character in the books. No, yeah. And, but that's like a great creative device on the behalf of Daniel Handler. Like, wow, what a genius move. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. Yeah, no, and Daniel Handler was a writer of adult novels, very wacky adult novels, and relatively successful. Um, he actually re... The origin of this story was that he retooled... He, um, there's a, a, a genre of literature called gothic literature, um, and actually, uh, Series of Unfortunate Events is kind of a children's version of... It has gothic elements in it, and... Um, the uh he retooled this sort of um like this adult gothic novel that he'd written for a children's audience and he brought us to his publishers and his publishers was like yo that's fucking dope and he was like really because i just 
this was a joke and they're like nah go with it man so you know he is wildly successful because it's his most successful work to date and yeah that's i mean it's in general i feel like the reason his his uh, editors though did go along with it i mean i can't verify because you know i'm not i'm not i wasn't in the room but uh i mean there really was like this advent of of just children's novels in a way that like like you know once harry potter was taking off um it was just you know kids would just grab any book they could read that had like a thicker story to it a, a, a more continuous story that would last past one book you know the never-ending story is great we all loved it but it was just one book uh and yeah. you couldn't get another book outside of that the reason i picked them up as a child was because you know there are, it appeals to like a smarter more sophisticated child who is sort of like who loves edward gory who loves you know tim burton who loves like like gothic stuff who's really into art who's into like that sort of thing and like they pick up this book and the like the first sentence is something like like this is not a happy book like if you're looking for a happy ending like look elsewhere and i was like oh boy i'm an edgy middle schooler exactly exactly when you read a book and it says something along the lines of uh this doesn't have a happy ending i think anybody would any teenager or middle schooler or you know preteen like who's quote-unquote rebellious is going to be like can't wait to finish (laughs) basically and i that was the present i would wish for the only thing that i would wish for every year they came out was the new and serious unfortunate events book on christmas and i got it and i would finish it that day that's see but that's oh like that's something that's amazing because uh for me like uh I I got into, uh, you know, I didn't really, like I said, I didn't really get into a series of unfortunate events. I got into Hunger Games, but I was like 22. Um, and that's not bad. I also read those books when I was in my 20s. And it was like a similar, it was a similar, well, the first two were a similar feeling. Similar, yeah, a similar kind of like, like it's it's just, it has this readability in a way that you, you have to know what happens next. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's lovely because you're just like, you sit there and it's, it's, it's very engrossing in a way that I think it's hard to find nowadays it's hard to find that kind of that kind of series that kind of book that 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 grabs the attention of everyone like like a series of unfortunate events did like harry potter did like hunger games did i mean hell even divergent i i didn't read divergent but my mom read divergent and i think like there were just there was just something about the 2000s that it it was just this this like heyday era of just young adult novels like so much so that barnes and noble created a ya section and they're like there you go kids please don't bother me anymore (laughs) please because because before then and the thing is like at first the series of unfortunate events yeah were children's books but as they went on they got thicker and thicker and more complex and violet like had a love interest at one point and like um you know there was sort of hinting that like go they're them going through puberty them being older like sunny's whole plot arc of gro- like becoming a toddler and mm-hmm. sort of you know the uh the mycelium and like god yeah them- that was intense i mean it's 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 just it's that's the thing is each story is very much a chapter like there are chapters within each story but like so the bad beginning is truly that it that's what it is it's the beginning of your story then you have the reptile room and it's another chapter creating in this this you know 
world of like the different kinds of aunts and uncles that they would have quote unquote aunts and uncles uh i think i think what you said um so you had said before that, that the movie took it a very literal like these are blood relatives these are people who are related to their mother and father and the tv show took it it's more of like a these are my best friends and these are my these are going to be your aunts and uncles well you may not be blood related to them they will be your aunts and uncles in the way that your mom's best friend is your auntie because you've known her your entire life yeah and i thought that was a much better much more modern approach and much more of like probably the way that uh bertrand and um uh the kid's mom which you know i i know her name i'm not saying it <laughs> don't worry no we there aren't there, we'll, we'll spoil a lot but like there are some things that you just like we have to save <laughs> yeah this is like this is like the ultimate like thing that I, this is the one thing i refuse to spoil for anyone um so uh for the parents um uh, that's the type of parents they would be because they raise their children to be independent thinkers and like you know klaus to be sensitive and like a literature lover and violet to be like strong and sort of like an inventor and sort of going against gender roles and of course i think they would go against sort of traditional familial roles as well like i'm going to be the aunt of your child even though we are not blood related exactly because i've known you for almost 20 years and any you know any child that i have will know you as well as i do uh to the point of like you know like that you'll come over and hell oh my god oh my god did you sh i want to show you my book report you know like hell yeah like, that's the kind of but that's i think that's very much a a, a more I mean, I don't know. I don't know a lot of people that have 60,000 uh, brothers and sisters, like, you know, or even that many brothers and sisters who, like, when they have kids, they're like, ah, yes, you have four aunts and four uncles. Like, I don't know a lot of people in situations like that. I do know a lot of people, I mean, who are older, yes. Like, I know a lot of people who are millennials have a lot of aunts and uncles. But if I were to say, like, hey, so millennials, your children, how many technical blood aunts and uncles do they have? You'd be like, um, between me and my husband, none. <laughs> we're both only children. Children. Uh, so so it's it's it does because also i do feel that the baudelaire's maybe they they do they have any siblings i feel like in terms of the parents the 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 only thing i ever knew was that they died in a fire but i thought they didn't because the tv show was like hey look who it is it's colby smulders it's will arnett and i'm literally sitting here because i did not read the books those are like, not their parents I, I knew those alive. <laughs> no having read the books i knew those weren't their parents but um but i love that because they don't ever really because the tv show was created not just for book readers it was also created for people who did not read the book and they were like creating this narrative of colby smolders and uh and will arnett as these parents who had survived and they were kicking ass and you're like yes oh my god they made it and you're and then to have that completely blown to smithereens literally that was a bad show yeah i know um i but think like that that's oh that was my favorite that kind of brings me to um like one um one of my points in my notes uh that i wrote um one of the a few of the themes that make this book series like stand out like amongst others which is like you know you make your own happy ending is probably the biggest the biggest one of them all you make the best of your own situation and like the baudelaire's learn how to survive like you're not going to be handed things in your life and mm -hmm. like like they they find their own happiness in the end and i think like in their own way that despite 
everything. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's definitely the kind of TV show that, you know, no matter what, if you're an adult or a child or a teen, it's something that I think would would just be something that you'd want to watch a lot of. Like, you'd want to continue watching it. It's not going to be something where you're... Like, I know for Mike and I, we'd watch, you know, the season. And then we'd be like, all right, whatever. And then the new season would come out. And I think it just, you know, this this is the, the Netflix world in which we have. Like, when the new season comes out, sometimes you do want to watch it right away. But sometimes you just had a bad day and you're like, I'm just going to shelf this and put it to the side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But to watch it, it it's just... It is, you're right. There is not a necessarily, like, they really do come up against a lot of just messed up struggles in a way that, you know, just besides the fact that, like, Count Olaf and the adults believe him and uh, Esme Squalor more than they believe the children at any given step. Yeah. And, and I think that's one of the biggest things is dealing with these these repercussions that not necessarily you wanted. Like, you're, you, like it becomes to this this idea of... Why don't people believe me? And it, it you know, seeds of self, se- yeah, seeds of self doubt are like sowed inside people who are constantly doubted and constantly questioned. Yeah. And the Baudelaire children never back down or retreat from what they believe and what they know to be the truth. Yeah, exactly. And you're that you're perfectly bringing me into my next point, which you can read my mind. I enjoy that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, which is that like we as children like are sort of taught at the beginning that like there was right and there is wrong there is you know good and bad and there's nothing in between and i feel like this series teaches you that there is no everything's a big gray area like absolutely there even are the good adults are even still the, like justice strauss who was a good adult failed them yeah yeah god watching those scenes in which klaus is just devouring the books and 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 violet looks at justice strauss and sees this strong female role model that i think violet was just like enamored with i could be this person i could be like her i can be just as you know and and it's i think that's why like the casting choices work so well in the tv show because while Catherine o'hara is an amazing actress and in general everyone adores her it's not her vibe was perfect for that role because Joan Cusack is I mean not that she's stereotyped you know she has played Debbie but she's also played characters like the principal in School of Rock which is very much you know you're a strong woman who's trying and very much trying but she still has these these moments of insecurity these moments of weakness these moments of vanity and Joan Cusack plays it perfectly in the TV show and it's it's just not in the same light with Catherine O'Hara Catherine O'Hara is much more of a I'd say a stronger actress in terms of uh, her her character choices, or I always feel like when her character makes a decision, Catherine O'Hara in her mind is like, my character has committed to this decision, and if she's vain, it's because she chose to be vain, as opposed to a momentary lapse in, in intelligence because of vanity's sake. Yeah, exactly. Um, I yeah, I thought she did such a good job. So many, so many of the actors, um, so many of the actors did such a good job. Like um, the remaining Snicket siblings um, were like. Uh, they the showing that dynamic was really amazing absolutely um, like kit like and the fact that like after all that kit just fucking dies it's like i know but i mean even so like so patrick warburton is one of those actors who everyone's like i love family guy <laughs> and, I know. Just, 
and it's such and I think as a casting director you have to sit there and go alright everyone knows you as ah yes the poison Cusco's poison the poison meant specifically for Cusco and you have to sit there and you go this man has one of the most recognizable voices in the entire world he's not a voice actor he just speaks and everyone's like that's a character we've done it's, it it's him it's and, like it's like the H. H John Benjamin syndrome he can't like do anything else because everyone recognizes his voice exactly you know? and the fact that Patrick Warburton was able to play not just Lemony Snicket but they they did something that the movie did not do which is they hid Jude Law's face and they made him this character in the shadows and uh, with the TV show straight up right in the beginning they're like this is Patrick Warburton he's Lemony Snicket deal with it and, <laughs> and, and as sh- the audience though it wasn't Patrick Warburton that made us all forget it was Patrick Warburton it was the stakes surrounding his characters you know he's in that hotel room there's tons of string everywhere the, uh, the opening credits are meant to be that board that that Lemony is creating and and tying all of these threads together, tying all of these loose ends together, and and then you like find out his motivations for this, and it's just like that much fucking worse. It's, it's just like, oh, I can tell you of all the stuff that I've like you know that we've reviewed so far. Like I'd say specifically like you know Harry Potter is something that yeah it's great. You should definitely check it out if you get the chance. Final Fantasy Seven yeah it's fine. You know definitely do it if you want to. But a series of unfortunate events. It's just one of those TV shows that no matter what your age is, no matter what you think you like, just watch it. If you if you love How I Met Your Mother, at least watch it because Neil Patrick Harris is phenomenal in it. If you like, you know, if you really like any given episode of Family Guy, just watch it for Patrick Warburton because that's the thing is you'll watch it for, you know, like you'll have the fans who will watch it for any given reason. They're like, I love this book. I love this story. I'm going to watch it. But even if you aren't a fan, I think it's enough to get you into it because it, it I mean, it's surprising in the sense that you know you you really do not expect these actors to be as I think good as they are in this show and I'm speaking as someone who did acting for a very long time and it's it's just seeing like I will I will hesitate to say that Nathan Fillion basically is Nathan Fillion in this show yeah he's yeah he's that was like my one sort of like me being really nitpicky like he was himself, and but like, I mean, he's it's he a good, he's a good, the it a good choice. A like if you're going to, if you're gonna, because Kit, I mean, our Kit, um, Francis. Oh God, I can't remember his name. What's the character's name? The Lemony Snicket's brother, Jacques. Jacques. There it is. Um, Jacques. No, he was like, I imagine Jacques to be different. That's the that's like I loved Nathan Fillion, but like. I also wanted Jock to be younger, but that's just like... (laughs) Don't worry, in everyone's head, Nathan Fillion's still in 2004, and we're all doing just fine. Yeah, if it's like, like, if it was Firefly, Nathan Fillion... That's my favorite thing. My favorite thing nowadays is like when a movie, like you know, is is like ma- like a book is made into a movie or a video game is made into a movie, and they're like, "Oh, we cast this person as that person," and I'm like, "Man, if it had only been ten years ago when you decided to make this, I swear to God, truly." But it's just, oh, that's my favorite thing. Is is uh, and, and like, or if you're really into set, like you really love a visual picture of like, like, and that's the thing is each. So the, the review that compared the movie to the TV show said that the movie was in general more dark and dreary and the TV show was brighter and it just felt sadder in the movie. And I'm like, no, what you're mistaking that for is lack of co- the lack of color doesn't mean necessarily dark or dreary. It means that your set designer, your lighting designer and your editor had no idea how to make things look sad without making them gray. 
That's, yeah, that's the thing. Um, that's, like, a basic, like, 101 filmmaking technique. Like, I think the fact that they manage to bring so much, because so much of the world is colorful. Like, when, um, when I, you know, when reading about the carnival and the circus and everybody, you know, that the, what I imagine is flames, bright orange. Like, the, that's the color that came to my head. Like, mm-hmm. like p- faces being painted by, like, yellow-orange light. Like, that's, and that can still be sad. That can still be dreary and menacing and frightening. Like, Absolutely. It's still, and it's still under the big top. It's still that red and white big top that we've all seen as the circus tent of, of, of yonder year and current year. Like, it's just, it's still that same color scheme of the circus. It's just dingier. You know, there are small things that you can tell the, the tone and the mood of the, of the TV show without having to be slapped over the face with a Victorian glove saying, be sad. <laughs> <laughs> You're really into like glove slapping. I really am. It's one of my favorite ways. I am a gentleman. <laughs> um, to check out the TV show, and then um, y- within the TV show, you'll have the basic like facets of the plot, and you'll be able to compare them. But the, the books are an easy read. They're written for children. Uh, they're written for people who are 13 years old. So if you can read at a 13 year old level, then you can read these books. Um, <laughs> they sorry. often de- they often define big words for you, like f- like literally. They're like. Um, plebeian, which here means blank, you know, and, and like they'll, they'll do like this, the, 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 you know, the, the spelling bee definition where they'll use it in a sentence and they'll give you the definition and they'll, and that was one of the best things that they took, I think, from the, uh, the book to the TV show yeah, was no, when like, Lemony Snicket would just appear and be like plebeian here, which means, and you're just like, yeah, I don't know it. why plebeian was the first word that, uh, um, that we're uh, plebs. Uh, yeah, we are plebs, <laughs> but, um, and like the literary conventions, like for example, or like the, the, gags like using the word very for three or four straight pages in order to emphasize <laughs> i love stuff like that though and i feel that the definitely like the books do create this world in which you know it's a very it's a written world written by lemony snicket so it does create this more of a first person perspective that the tv show will lack because you know lemony snicket is less of your uh you know, he's he's a storyteller, absolutely, from the TV show's perspective, but the entire book is from his perspective and him telling this story. He is your storyteller in the book. And I guess it does create this different dynamic, I think, in anyone's head to read something that's told from the first person perspective of whether it's the person who experienced it or the person who's telling the story, as opposed to watching a television show. You know, the Hunger Games can say the exact same thing. It's written in the first person perspective of Katniss, and then the movie was like, no. <laughs> I think, well, um, I think actually that was one of the better choices of the films, but, um, anyway, uh, <laughs> there's like, and we'll talk all about those hot takes later on. We'll talk that, that is a whole, uh, that, that hot, um, that hot third person versus first person perspective is a whole nother hot take for another episode. Yeah, no, I think the, um, I think the narration style with, um, Lemony being a part of um, like a meta part of the story, like him sort of like being like, like a self insertion, like like author transcends um there is no death of the author here because he is directly involved and like handler handler is separated entirely from the stories so like he he'll often just be like you know he won't give things away he has written a lot of supplemental material actually under lemony snicket there's like the unauthorized um unauthorized autobiography of lemony snicket there are like other supplemental books about the vfd 
um, that you can find around the place. It's not expensive. Just search Lemony Snicket on Amazon and you'll find like all of his like bibliography. That's and so chill though. That's so cool. No, I love so, that. So much of it. There's tons and tons of supplemental material and a lot of it's like patchwork and sort of like, um, like scrapbook style. So you get like, um, like found, you know, those like found footage movies. It's like found documents books. Oh, I love that stuff. Um, especially like, you know, when, when you have to piece together your own, like, is it, it, and for anybody who really enjoys a, a lore or like a world building type of uh, fandom, where you have to, you know, really kind of, you know, search from for piece each piece, you can't just, I mean, you can just read a series of unfortunate events or just watch the TV show and be like, that is enough. That's all I needed. This was great. Uh, but if you wanted more, there are options for more so you can create this entire world in your head. Yeah, no, and um, a lot of them, um, a lot of the material, like, very unlike um, the supplemental material for, um, uh, like, the Harry Potter universe, a lot of it, a lot of this new sort of, or, like, supplemental material for a series of unfortunate events raises a lot more questions than it answers. Ooh. Like, yeah. I love like, stuff like that, because then you'll go on the message boards and they'll be like, okay, theory. <laughs> Yeah, um, like a lot of questions, a lot of questions have been answered, but then there are still, um, there are still sort of um, questions about, you know, like there, we sort of know, like, like the the various adaptations have done a fairly good job and like explaining what the VFD is, but like, it's still not entirely like 100% crystal clear. There, It's like volunteer fire department, but like, what do is it like the preservation of books is it knowledge is it you know like what <laughs> yeah it's i mean i think in general uh so with with the vfd and that whole that whole story is it's it's the way it's introduced in a series of unfortunate events is it's very int introduced very piecemeal in the way that a child would discover the secrets of their parents you know you're not going to discover your parents deepest darkest secrets all in one go and you'll be like oh mom so i see um it's, yeah. it's, it's and especially with something as big as like a fire you're going to start piecemeal and just as the Baudelaire children discover things, the reader, the watcher, they all discover it at the same time. And it becomes much more of a journey in that sense because you have the Baudelaire children going through it at the same time you do. And I know for me, like, that's one of the things I'm definitely going to, like, encourage my child to watch and read, you know, if she wants to, uh, because it's just, it's one of those stories. Like you said, it's, it's, it subverts, I think, w what we expect of little boys and little girls. Um, we, you know, we encourage what they like to do if klaus likes to read please read you know if, if sunny likes to chew on things and make them sharp do it sunny <laughs> do it you go girl you've got such sharp teeth i no, love but, you um what's interesting about uh, the sort of piecemeal integration of the vfd plotline is that that was daniel handler sort of being like all right this is my kind of do over with this because in the first three or four books it's not really introduced it's yes. sort of like kind of there but, like, once Austere Academy keeps going and, like, Ursat's Elevator and, like, like once we meet the Quagmire children, that's really when, like, it's like, okay, well, there was this schism. There, there was this whole thing. Once Esme Squalor is introduced, then, then it's in the books. Then it's much more explicitly about this, like, whole big subplot. But the first few books are kind of just finding their footing. So I think with the series, because Daniel Handler had such a big hand in it, he was like, all right, I'm going to, like, redo this. I'm going to, like, make it more like apparent from the beginning yeah 
But because of that, you the there's no you know the only people who are going to quote unquote suffer in like that kind of things are people who who want a plot to be resolved you know t- and then ends tied up nicely in a half hour episode an hour episode and unfortunately that's just not I, I you know with with something like a series of unfortunate events you're gonna get a story that's long and it's intense and there's a lot of highs and there's a lot of lows in your climax you're gonna keep reach each what you believe is the climax and you're like nope that's not it <laughs> yeah i'm I, I think it's implied like in the books at the end of the series that violet's like 16 or 17 years old like this takes place like over a long period of time absolutely and it's just really i mean now i'm I may just go and watch it again. Um, yeah, it's one of those things that's like, like I know I'm gonna cry. I already like I'm here. I'm already gonna cry. But uh, like it's it's the it's the kind of cry that like after you finish like let's say the first season and everybody's singing that song and you're just crying on your couch and you're just like all right, all right, I feel better. I'm gonna go and take a shower now. Like, <laughs> It's it's just it. It's one of those series. Like it's it's the equivalency of like a Pixar film. If they were like, hey, how would you like it if the first fifteen minutes of Up lasted eight hours, guys? Oh, don't even. <laughs> don't like I I started. I started. I watched that movie once with um with a friend of mine from college, and like I'm sobbing, and she pauses the movie. She's like, "Are you okay? Like, can we continue this?" I love my favorite my favorite thing is that Pixar and I've been saying this for years but like I'm glad other people finally are starting to recognize Pixar accepts the ticket price in tears they do not need it in like cash money they need tears like they will collect your tears and therefore churn out another cocoa <laughs> and you're just like and it's, but the thing is it's like a lot of Pixar movies like I feel like kind of milk like they're like you're gonna come in here and we're gonna make make you cry whereas a series of unfortunate events is hey here's something that's genuinely sad about life yes i wouldn't say that you're crying all the time i think it's just you know you you cry like at the end of the show because at the end of the first season i think it's because like you know they're it seems just so hopeless um through a lot of the episodes and then at the end like they'd all like piled into the back of that wagon and they were going somewhere and there was this such small glimmer of hope and like uh it felt so good and like it's so sad though because you know like as Lemony Snicket reiterates over and over and over again this is not a happy ending and um and like you just uh it it, it, it's to the point where your heart is like I can't they're so good why and and I, I love that because you just you they don't know i mean you wouldn't know like if somebody came up to you and was and like looked at you from the future and was like you don't have a happy ending you'd be like elaborate please (laughs) yeah i kind of like to know um how maybe uh and then they'd be like nope bye and then they just disappear and you would have some really amazing days but when you do have those incredibly low days where you're crying where you're just in a place you can't escape then those good days you're just like that's all i want back and that's what i think calls back to that that end of season one sadness you're just like oh these kids are doing great they're they're hopeful they have hope and And, yeah and to call back to another another moment like like other moments in the series like there are deaths that are just like unfair like to call back to monty's death and how the incredibly deadly viper is just like people aren't gonna understand 
like that and they'll never understand it and his death is ultimately meaningless and it's like the fucking worst it is because i think we've all grown to accept that in in literary terms that if somebody dies there's for a greater reason there's a greater good to it there's there's something that will happen they will get justice and it's 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 highly highly hurtful and realistic in the same breath to know that Uncle Monty died, was murdered, and for nobody, no reason. <laughs> and nobody like like that's the thing is nobody cared. These kids loved Uncle Monty in a way that they were like, "This is such a weirdo. I fucking love him," and they they became so attached so quickly because of like his inhibitions in terms of like being his truest self with these children, and then to have that character just snatched out of their lives and to never get that closure. It's heartbreaking because it's so relatable a lot of things don't get closure in our lives in general and okay we're good all right we're gonna mm, sunshine lollipops and rainbows so in conclusion um you know even though there are so many like hard truths in the show like death can be meaningless um the, the lesson about like the sort of misnomer of like the incredibly deadly viper and sort of like Monty Montgomery being mocked for who you are, despite the fact that you can't help it, you know, Jacques death being meaningless and the kids being scapegoated, like things like that. There's the ultimate, like ultimate sort of like taking charge of your own destiny and taking the best of the bad situations that you're given in life. You can apply that to life. Like I like in 2017, I went through a horrible depression. Like I, I have bipolar disorder and I went through a terrible depressive episode that lasted for months. But you know, like I, I pulled myself out of it because like I took the lessons that were like applied in life from things I read, things I did and just like got out of it. There is hope, you know, like there are series like this, like everything is gray, but it doesn't have to be bad. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, it's something that like a lot of people, like I think that's the thing about the end of the day is like the most fucked up things will happen in your life and, and nobody will seem to care because, you know, for when it happens to you, it always hits you the hardest. You know, if, if, if you know, nobody's talking to you or you go through something traumatic, you lose a friend, you lose a family member, you lose your job, some kind of loss, whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual, whatever, it's it's hard. It's absolutely hard. Uh, and it, it always hits personally the hardest, but it's it's finding that, that kind of strength in side of yourself to get past those worst days those those days where you truly just can't get through the next day i mean uh i barely made it through high school i did i graduate i could not believe i graduated when i got accepted into a community college i cried i was so happy and uh now i'm you know i'm i'm married i'm pregnant i'm 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 living a life that i think well 10 years ago i was 20 and i was doing all right but i think at 15 uh i would not have expected to even see um because it's just those days when they were their darkest you could not see the dawn and you had no idea how long it was going to be before it and it's it's less of a faith in like sometimes it is a faith in a higher power or a faith in like the universe self-correcting but faith in yourself and faith in those who are closest to you and getting you through those things like with Klaus, Sonny and, and Violet all having the faith in each other to get them through what they were all going through this shared experience I think that's that's what it is at the end of the day is that bec- it, like, yes there's there's more hyperbolic in that sense but we all go through shit and we all go through rough times that nobody else could really understand because they're not us and yeah. if we if we can get through those 
and see the other side, that means when the next one comes, because they will, they're not going to stop. Like life doesn't get easy one day. Like you reach the finish line and they're like, now it's just tequila. Mm. <laughs> no, it, it most certainly does not work that way. And, um, and that's, and that's basically, that's enough for me to enjoy watching that TV show when I'm 88 years old. <laughs> You're 88 years old when the, when this little, car goes when 88 little... miles an hour, 88 is the number of the day. Cause people keep, showing um back to the future things on netflix and i can't help it (laughs) lord that's another thing we'll have to review one day all right well this has been a wonderful we are well over time (laughs) not not yet an hour though so we good (laughs) we good good. all right uh next week we'll do something uh it is megan's turn i have no idea i feel like part of me wants to like do kingdom hearts but i'm like i don't know that's a heavy one (laughs) no please please don't (laughs) so something random something random we'll figure it out all right bye stay safe guys stay safe stay inside have a great rest of your day bye bye